This week's guest is Christy Collins. Christy has spent a good portion of her career working in the Kitchener-Waterloo area at many noted local landmarks such as Oscars, Hannah Bella's Bistro, Public Kitchen and Bar, and Corner Kitchen, plus many others. We talk with Christy about her many working experiences locally as well as in Cottage Country, Ontario, and out in British Columbia. We discuss the differences between working as a server and a manager, and Christy discusses how she developed her appreciation and knowledge of wine. And we finish up the episode talking with Christy about her new venture, growprepcreate.com, a platform dedicated to helping people cook, meal plan, and prep in a way that supports your health goals and delights your taste buds. You can also find Christy on Instagram at grow.prep.create and check out the show notes for all the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan, who literally just called me a douche before we started recording. So then, was, <laughs> and there he goes, the shoe fits. Hey, how are things going with you? Fantastic, thanks. Um, nice. The weather's picking up, so we went from winter to summer once again. One, yes. week, one week of spring. Mm-hmm. We should, uh, I should mention that we just came from a Trom- tequila tromba event in Toronto hosted by Juki, former guest on the show. You can check out her episode in the archives. Mm-hmm. It was a fun time. Played some ping pong and drank some tequila. Nice. Yeah, it was good. So uh, getting through this sort of uh, paperwork here, we should mention that if you wish to be a guest on the show, you should email us at info at theindustrypodcast.club or you can DM us directly at theindustrypodcast.com. On Instagram, our artwork is done by Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co, so you should check out all his fine work there. What else? Is, what else should we talk about here? I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh yeah, subscribe, rate, review, do that. Yeah, <laughs> right on the ball. Yeah, we're we're into it. I told you I drank a bunch of tequila last night. Oh, I'm, uh, nice. <laughs> I'm a little out of it. As a professional, we soldier on. Professional, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of being a professional, we uh, we have a sponsor this week. Oh, do tell. Yes, Rick Baroncelli at The Case for Wine. And he is wh- who you want to go to for all your wine needs, whether it's for a bar or restaurant, like my two bars. I deal with Rick at Sugar Run in downtown Kitchener and Babylon Sisters Uptown Waterloo. Or you can, if you want to just have some uh, consignment wines for your home, you can get in touch with Rick for that as well. But how would I do that if I wanted to? Well, let me just tell you, the email is rick at thecasefourwine.com. Perfect. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. Yeah, so shout out to Rick. You can get in touch with him for wine for your bars and restaurants or for your private home collection and enjoyment, such as wines from Lale Vineyards. And you can find the blueprint, uh, the blueprint Cabernet at uh, Babylon Sisters, actually. And uh, the Lale Vineyards is produced by Robin Vale. She's one of Napa Valley's most iconic and influential wine figures. And her dad was a Napa pioneer. The 2017 Blueprint Cabernet was the wine enthusiast wine of the year. Ooh, fancy. It is, and you can get that at Babylon Sisters, or maybe if you want it for your house, just go through Rick directly. That's rick at thecaseforwine.com. Okay, and now let's get to our guest this week, which is another great one. Uh, Christy Collins is joining us. How are you, Christy? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing very well. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Mm -hmm. Of course. Thanks for having me. So let's just uh, jump right into it here. Talk to us a little bit about how you first got started in the service industry, and uh, and we'll start rolling through the career here. Sure. So sort of uh, one of the classic ways of getting involved, I started working at a family restaurant that some of my family worked at. So I had 
two cousins that already worked at Oscar's uh, family restaurant back more than 20 years ago now or almost 20 years ago. And so they kind of got me in. I was 16 and started busing and hosting there. And that's what kind of started it all. About Oscars, I've seen that place forever and I've been there a bunch of times. Is that still the same ownership that it's been the entire time? Has it changed a couple of times? or No, I, I know it's changed at least one time. So the owners who owned that then went on, sold it shortly after I worked there. So about 20 years ago. And then uh, bought Benny's or ran Benny's where oh, okay. it was on Weber. Yep. Um, and then actually full circle moment, they are the owners that now own Corner Kitchen, which oh, is there now okay. in the old Benny's location now, which is now where I'm currently working. Uh, <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's all come full circle. It has. Yeah. It's really bizarre, but it just worked out that way. And so uh, after Oscars, where did you end up going to work after that? So after that was the iconic um, Hoother Hotel, which I feel oh, like if yes. you if you are like in the industry in this city and you have been for a while, you either have worked there or know somebody who has. So I was an expediter there for almost two years, which is a pretty good record for for the Hoother. <laughs> kind of surprised that that place has expediters. Like it just. I mean, they did like... back in the day. I don't yeah. know. Huh. That used to be pretty packed all the time, right? Oh, yeah, they still are weekends. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I worked there kind of in the heyday. Like, it was, like, very busy. The Barley Works and the Barley Works, mm. the patio and all of that. And it was actually, like, an expediting position where you didn't really leave the kitchen. Like, we did occasionally. We would rent food if we needed to, but they had pagers. So we would page them, and they would come. So you would just make sure, you know, the sauces are with that, and you got a spoon or a knife or whatever you needed. And then page the server to come get it. So, oh yeah, huh. interesting. Yeah. And so, two years is a very long time to actually be working at the Hoother. I think that might be some sort of record. How did you manage <laughs> to stay there that long? <laughs> well, again, got in there through family. So my sister was there as well, and she was expediting. So it was fun, right? Like we went mm. in and hung out together, and and did it together. And then we had a couple friends kind of come and go, and only lasted the more traditional few months there but it was a lot of fun with with my sister and as long as you like well I don't know if I should name her name but the matriarch of that restaurant he's kind of like known to be a little bit uh I don't know scary intimidating <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if you were just sort of like you knew I guess I sort of had some kind of confidence in there maybe because of my sister or whatever that she would come in and be like, da, 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 you know, something, something. And we'd be like, okay, fine. You know, you just, we just let it roll off. And we were like, okay, like we know we're doing what we should be doing. Like, it's fine, you know? And then right. she'd run off somewhere else and, and it was fine. So I don't know. It was a, it was a pretty decent crew that was there at the time. So it worked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you, so you went to school for a little bit after that, a eh? food and beverage management at yeah. and how did you find yeah. that program because we've been i've been actually had a couple of volunteers doing their hours at uh, both babylon sisters and sugar run from the food and beverage management and from what i can ascertain is they didn't teach them too much and <laughs> 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 just in a yeah. experience yeah yeah that's fair well i went there in a weird time where I think that the culinary and food and beverage thing used to be at the Dune campus at some point, uh, or maybe it was somewhere else. And then it there was br- a brief time where it was in 
the office space that's sort of behind the Wildcraft area, like a weird office wow. building yeah. before it moved to this amazing new building that they now have. So I was in it during that ghetto phase <laughs> where I was in this like office building that was converted into classrooms and a kitchen. I mean, I enjoyed my time there. Again, I had pretty good like people that I went through with and I really enjoyed like the chef there and some of the teachers, but it's definitely the theory, right? Like you need practical experience mm -hmm. in order to actually be good in a restaurant. Like you need confidence and actual experience. And that just taught you sort of the theory, like I said. So it was good in some ways for certain parts of my career and gives you sort of the base, but you absolutely need like some kind of practical experience with that as well. We did do practical, like we had one day a week where you were in the kitchen and one day a week where you were in the dining room. So you got some of that, but I mean, it wasn't busy like a restaurant. It wasn't run exactly like a restaurant. So it wasn't quite the same. <laughs> so did you also have to do volunteer like hours at bars and restaurants or was it all done at the spot? So when I did it, it was a two year program, which had a six month co-op term in between. Okay. So uh, there was nothing like during, like while you were taking the courses, it was just the six months in between. And that's when I went up to uh, Muskoka for six oh, months. Yeah. And some debauchery happened. and Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about working in that Muskoka region. It sounds like it would probably be a pretty fun way to spend your summer. <laughs> it was very fun. It was very fun. I was 20 years old and drinking a lot, partying a lot. And I had, again, some sort of family. So my sister's two really good friends had been going up there for years and years, which is what kind of the connection that I got to going up there. And they had been working at this golf course. Um, so they kind of got me in there. So I already had kind of them as built-in friends and they knew a few other people up there. They knew kind of the crew. They knew the owners of the one bar in town. So yeah, it was a really fun summer. We had a, we had a staff like house, you know, we had like a kiddie pool in the living room at one point. <laughs> we were like across the way from like a sort of public dock area. You could walk anywhere in the town as a small town. So yeah, it was a, a very fun summer. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I yeah. learned some things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lately, I've been learning some things about uh, Rick Barangelli at the Case for Wine. Uh, yeah, yes, I will tell you all about it. Some of uh, the amazing wines that he has available to purchase at the Case of, uh, for Wine, such as Domaine Joseph Boileau, and his wines are a masterclass in understatement, letting the terroir do all the talking via relatively low alcohol levels, plus a prudent use of oak and sulfur. Okay. And so that's uh, the Joseph Boileau Volnier Premier Cru. It is available at Babylon Sisters or... Just go to Rick Baranchelli directly, and you can get it at the Case for Wine. That's Rick at thecaseforwine.com. Back to you, Christy. So you're after Muskoka. That's like a great way to spend a few months hobnobbing around with the cottage people. What's the crowd mm -hmm. like there? It was kind of mixed. I actually had a really funny encounter with like a like celebrity, like a NHL player. So the Lindrosses. Oh. <laughs> the Lindrosses wow. were members at this golf club. I'll get my so both... shirt out of the closet, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So both Eric and Brett and their dad, like, they were all members there. And they would come for, like, some of the dinners, like, if we did a Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, like, fancy dinner. So they would come to that, not, not Brett and Eric every time, but... 
they were coming one day and I knew they were coming and I was in sort of like the snack area by myself. And like, I like hockey, but I don't know what people look like. Right. Right. (laughs) So I was like there, I knew they were coming and still, I think it was Brett who came in first and he was by himself. So I was probably expecting like a crew to come in all together, but he came in first by himself. And anytime one of our members, I think it, it was members only, I'm pretty sure it was a private club. So anytime one of our members would come in and order whatever, we'd ask them for their last name and charge it to their account. So Mm. he orders some sandwich and I was like, oh, last name. And he's like, Lindros. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, yeah. no problem. <laughs> Go back, like make a sandwich and and uh and bring it out to him. It was just like I felt like, oh my God, like I knew he was coming and still didn't didn't get it right. <laughs> well, in fairness, they wear helmets when you see them on TV. Exactly. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you were there for just six months and then you came back to town and started working in KW again? Yeah. So I finished school. I think like I was still, still at the Hoother for a while there, like after my second semester, I think, or maybe I just wasn't working anywhere there. And then after I finished, some girlfriends and I went, decided to move out West for just, again, just the summer. So six months, we moved out to Kelowna and that was another really fun summer (laughs) with my three girlfriends living in Kelowna. We did a lot of like skateboarding and biking around, not as much drinking that summer. It was more about like smoking pot and, you know, hanging (laughs) out at the beach and and that kind of thing. So that was another like really fun summer. And I did two things there. I worked at a blends, like a coffee shop. It's sort of like, like a Starbucks, but a smaller like West coast chain. And then I also worked at this really cute little eatery that was just like mostly takeout, but a little bit inside of there and just sort of like, hung out for the summer. <laughs> so got some experience in different areas of F&B, but not a lot of like solid, you know, restaurant experience, but it was enough to pay the bills and have fun that summer. So yeah, that was that. And then when I came back from that summer uh, is when I went to Hannah's and applied at Hannah's. Right. Yeah. And so we've had actually a number of people on the show who have worked at Hannah's and I'm sure you worked with a bunch I've of listened them. to them all as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, there you go. See the archives. Yeah. They're there for yes. you people. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, Hannah's experience working there. Why do you think it's turned out so many of the servers in town who are sort of still in the game and kind of well-renowned? Yeah, I didn't know. It was sort of like a magical place. I I actually almost didn't get hired there because like, like I thought I had all this experience, right? Like I had, you know, worked my way from buster host, expediter, had some like serving experience and then went to school for it. And I actually was in my interview and Tyler, who I know you've had on as well, Tyler Smith is an old friend from high school. Like we kind of were from different high schools, but we're kind of adjacent friend groups, you know? Yeah. So I knew him from high school and I was having my interview with Helen, Hannah's sister. And, and she was kind of like, well, we usually hire people with more experience. Like, I don't know. And then Tyler's behind her being like, yes, like hire her, like totally told (laughs) her to be like, hire her. So I owe that to Tyler uh, getting in there. So I kind of did lunches up in the bistro and then did the tapas lounge down there. And I don't know, there was just like, 
I think Hannah just had a way of finding the right people with the right attitudes. And everyone was just like such team players. It was the first time that I really experienced that where people like actually cared about how you did and how like your section, how the whole place ran, right? Where a lot of places like it's kind of everybody is on their own kind of thing. But there, yeah, it was just like such a cool crew of like people who had a lot of experience that knew what they were doing. And I learned, I actually learned so much more there than I did in, in school. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, a pra- it's like you said, the practical, the, it's, it's just a practical part of it that you really totally. know, like, Oh, so let's dial it back to that just for a second. Like, do you feel like, would you recommend to someone who wants to get a start in the business to go to a uh, school for it? Or would you just say, just try and find a good job? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you necessarily have to. If you want to get into management, it probably is a good like baseline for that. But I think like kids going into going into it at like 18, 19 is not really ideal. I feel like you kind of need to know that you want to be in the industry and then take something like that because they there were good courses on like cost control and things like that that you do need to know as a manager to to run like a functioning profitable business obviously if you have a really great mentor that that could work as well so i think it it's not for everybody but it can help if you have a very specific like trajectory of wanting to manage or own something yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So sort of like the way to go is kind of like, go get some work experience. And if you decide that that's what you want to do, then maybe there's some value in yeah. taking a course after that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes <laughs> sense to me. Uh, so you worked at Handis for how long? I was there for about three years, two and a half, three years, somewhere in there. And so did you leave during one of the times that that place closed down? Because they closed down and reopened several times. Or did you just leave? So... I was in, yeah, I left on my own accord. I, I was in when they were in the new space. So it, it was in like the old space across from, or beside Jane Bond there for a while. So I was in the new place, which is like the Waterloo hotel, right? which has like the, whatever is in there now, some, something else. Um, So I came in there after they had been there for a while and I left there with somebody that I worked with there, like a work friend with the idea of like moving out west. So I left there. It was probably only about, I don't know, maybe five or six months before it ended up like closing for, for good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then, and then you did move out west again? Yes. No. <laughs> so then <laughs> so then I actually, so this friend of mine that I worked with there, name's Britt, we decided to go out west. We had uh, she had some friends that she knew that were going there, but they were also spending the winter in Mexico. Mm. So we decided to drive down to Mexico in January to escape the winter. So we drove down to Mexico and lived there for about two months or so, sort of with the idea of like maybe trying to work and then travel a bit more. But it ended up that we just like rented in a really cheap apartment for two months or so, and then kind of took two weeks and traveled and like camped up the coast of Mexico and then up the West coast oh. of the U S as well. Oh, yeah. Nice. It was That's really cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Slept in hammocks a couple nights. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, we've all done that. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. So you, um, so yeah, so you didn't end up actually working while you were in Mexico, though. No, no, no. We uh, we went to the beach like, like it was our job. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, now, where were you working when you were out in at West this time? So that was more where I was more like established. So I ended up staying out there for five and a half years or so. So we ended up actually going up to Squamish, which is in between Vancouver and Whistler, because that's where these same friends that we knew in Mexico were going up there. One of them was taking a class, uh, like a course in Squamish, outdoor mm-hmm. leadership course in Squamish. So we ended up going up to Squamish, which is pretty random. It's a kind of small town, but they have bars and restaurants. So we were like, well, I'm sure we can get a job. So we actually ended up getting our apartment uh, before we got jobs. And then I was like, putting out applications everywhere and got a job at like a dive bar, like a real sketchy bar, worked there for a while, um, which is where I met my now husband, common law husband. Um, and then got a nicer job kind of in the, like in a nice restaurant there. And then eventually my husband had to move down to the city for work. So I followed him down there within a few months of like knowing him and and dating him. (laughs) So then I moved down to the city. So then I lived in um, like Richmond, uh, North Vancouver for about five years in the actual like greater Vancouver area. Oh, wow. So what made you guys decide to come back here? Well, that was an opportunity to like buy some land up near Owen Sound, which led me to then working at the golf course Right. right around there. So buying some land there, an off grid property, uh, with my sister um, and her partner doing a bunch of like renos with that. And then they ended up having kids, which then didn't work out for the overall plan that we had. So then that's when we moved back to KW. Oh, got you. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the golf course that you're working at there, though, because that seems like it's probably a similar crowd to when you the Muskoka, when you were mm-hmm. in Muskoka. But I'm always interested because I've never actually worked on a golf course. And I'm just like, it seems like just awful. <laughs> So you can tell me I'm can't wrong. Confirm. No, can't <laughs> confirm. It's awful. Yeah. Um, I, it had some fine aspects to it. Again, we met some really cool people up in that area. Um, some people that we're still friends with. But I don't know. I don't know if it's all golf courses. I, I've had other friends or uh, and family that have worked at golf courses that are that are better to work at. Right. Um, but this one particularly was really not ran well. And I had, so back in Vancouver, I had done, and I had gotten into the, kind of the supervisor, managery things in Vancouver, but moving back, wanted to just sort of come back and serve and make some money, do my thing, like have a big garden, do my thing at the property. And so I wasn't interested really in, in management anymore, but it was poorly managed. So right. I was like, so I, once a manager, always a manager kind of thing. And I like... I never fully agreed to be a manager there because I saw through the first year that I was there, how that went for the manager. And I'll just say that every year that I worked there, so I worked there for four summers, there was a new F and B manager. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like we've all worked at a place like that where the management keeps shipping in and out. And then you never really know, is it, because they're hiring shitty managers or the owner's shitty, so nobody wants to work with them. Also, middle management is kind of a shitty job. Like, yes. <laughs> like yeah. So, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that because, you, like you mentioned, you 
after doing it for a little bit, you were kind of like, I just need to get back into serving and making some money again because you, you do make more money serving and it's way less of a hassle. So maybe talk to us a little bit yeah. about your experience with that management and why you decided you'd had enough of it. Yeah, it's it's such a thing. It's like, it's what I kind of thought I was going towards and what I thought I wanted out of the industry. And then when you kind of get into it and I'm sure there are some places that are great to work at as a middle manager, manager. I'm not sure um, about that. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe there is, I don't know. <laughs> but like if people understand like the value of that, like work-life balance, at least like a tiny amount, maybe it would be an okay place to manage. But I find that that's it. It's like, you're a server, you work a certain amount of hours, but you're, you're getting those tips and you're making more money. And your hours are generally a little shorter. And as a manager, it's like all of a sudden you get a salary and they expect you to work 60 hours a week or more. Like you're basically all of it's on you. All of the stress is on you. Employees are the worst to try and like sort out schedules. And if somebody's sick or whatever, like the worst, that's the worst part of it is dealing with the employees. Like even if you like a lot of the crew you have, it's still a nightmare to try and like wrangle it all. It's, well, yeah. And yeah. I would say like doing the schedule is like the most thankless job period <laughs> because someone is always going to be pissed off. Like mm-hmm. there's no way to make everybody happy. So it's just like, that's always the first thing I delegated. <laughs> I hope it. I'm like, Ooh, okay, you can do the schedule. Yeah. It's just brutal. But you're uh, also like in that position, you're taking shit from each direction, right? Because you're getting uh, shit on by the employees who are always unhappy and you always have to be up their ass to do their job properly. But then, like me as an owner, the first person, I, I don't go to the staff. Like, I go to my manager and say, like, mm-hmm. what the fuck, you know? <laughs> like, then, so you Absolutely. get it from both ways, right? Um, mm-hmm. So when you move to back to serving, and you were mentioning earlier that uh, it's kind of hard to turn off your managerial brain after you've already done that, like, because I've had that problem too. Like, I, when I left my first bar that I owned, uh, and went back to just bartending for a little bit. It's like, it is kind of hard to go to that spot where you're like somebody else is making the decisions again. And you, you can see maybe that they don't make sense or at least they're not the way you would have done it. It's really hard, right? Very. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I found it. I found it very hard um, to kind of turn that part off. And I, I very quickly. So after the first year, they could obviously tell, like, I'm, I'm a very organized person. I'm a very like systems person. So I love implementing a good system and like making sure people are following it. So after the first summer, I, you know, got my bearings and that manager was gone and I pretty much trained the other managers that came in every year after that. Um, but resisted, like one of them really wanted me to be their assistant manager. And I was like, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll do two management shifts a week, but it's hourly and I'll do the wine list because I really like wine and I want to make sure that all the wine's there when we need it and, you know, make sure that that system's in place and and really set a boundary with that. And then I was like, and I also need my other three shifts to be like, like the money shifts. Like I want them to be, this is, this is a schedule I want. And luckily they like, let me, let me do that. So that was nice. And then I kind of took over I was doing the wine almost almost the entire time. I think sort of through the fall and winter after my first summer there onwards, I had some hand in it. We did have a manager one of the years that was like a sommelier, which was really cool. And she kind of took it that year, which I was happy for because she did it well. 
Uh, but otherwise I was doing the wine list, um, the whole time as well. So yeah, it was very hard for me to, because it was not functioning well. I, I wanted it to, it was selfish. I wanted it to function well, while I was there. Right. So I wanted to walk into a not, not a shit show every time I was there. And so I like helped them create like their like steps of service and like their opening and closing duties, like all of those things. So I was like, these things need to be done so that when I walk in, it's not a shit show every time. So I couldn't yeah. let go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you mentioned that you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your love for wine, but you know who else loves wine, Dan? Tell me. Who does? Rick Baroncelli at the Case for Wine. Ooh, do tell me more about some Rick uh, Rick's wines. Yeah, well, a lot of Rick's wines are available at Babylon Sisters in Uptown Waterloo, so you should definitely swing by there and check it out. But we have some beauties up there from Rick, including the 2018 Trolan Mondon saint and the Lune d'Argent, the 2019, as well as the uh, Domaine de Viaud, saint Damien Pomerol, and the Barolo Viberti from Giovanni Viberti. So all these wines are beautiful, approachable, in the pricier range, but Rick, Rick doesn't just deal in the pricey stuff. He's got uh, stuff for all price ranges. So if you were looking for something for the home, or if you're a bar or restaurant and you're looking for a new wine supplier, let me recommend... Rick Baroncelli at the Case for Wine. Oh, and how do I get a hold of him if I were interested in that? That would be Rick at thecaseforwine.com. Oh, thank you very much. Good to know. Getting back to your love for wine, you did eventually take up some WSET courses, correct? Yeah, so I did that when I was in Vancouver. So I worked at a place, Edible Canada, which was on Granville Island. So it was like super busy, touristy place. I had an incredible mentor there who was actually only a year older than me, but she was just so into wine and spirits and that she was going through her level four W set at the time, which is like super intense. (laughs) And so I kind of saw her doing that. I already really loved wine in general. I was already over my like shitty beer and, you know, gin and soda phase and was like into the wine firmly already. And Edible Canada had only Canadian everything. So we had all Canadian wine, spirits, everything there, which was really cool. So the first I'd experienced like, oh, we make a gin in Canada. We make a vodka. We make all the things, right? So we had all Canadian everything. And through her, it was just like so contagious. She was so into it all. And it got me wanting to do it. So so that company paid for half of my um, level two W set. Oh, nice. And... Yeah, which was really great. So I did it in Vancouver. It was six six weeks. I never I never felt the urge to go above level two. I wanted it. I wanted to do it in order to feel more comfortable talking about wine as a server, talking about it as a manager, like creating a wine or just knowing how to sort of curate a, a wine list. But I never felt the urge to go for level three. Level two is like, amazing you taste six wines every week uh and it is all multiple choice right (laughs) the test you get to level three and it's like an essay blind tasting it's a lot so i was like i'm good with level two i'm comfortable talking about it all and i'm sure i have like slightly more i definitely have more knowledge now than just a level two just through doing wine lists and reading about it and tasting lots of things. But I just never really had the urge to um, to go any further than that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I agree. Like, when I finished level two, I felt like I you could – that's enough to, like, speak confidently about wine at a table. It's certainly enough to make a cool wine list. Like, you have that knowledge. Like, it, like the jump from, like, zero knowledge to finishing level two is – 
crazy. Like you have a lot of knowledge yeah. by the time you're just done level two. So I, I get it. Like a lot of people stop after the second level, I think. So, but, yeah. and, and you're already way ahead of anyone you're going to be serving for the most part. So <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the thing I find, you know, people who really know wine, who know it more than me, they're just going to pick the wine that they want. Right. They're going to look at the list and be like, yes, that's the one I want. It's people that don't have as much knowledge and who don't really know a lot. And then you can you can like give them so much information that they don't know. So that that was what I've always experienced. It's like if they know, they already know. And if they don't, then I can teach them a few things or tell them a story and get them to yeah, buy some wine. Spend 15 minutes talking about a certain wine that you think they like, and at the end they'll go, okay, I'll have this other thing instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is true. That does happen. Like, look at this really cool wine over here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're just going to have what you always have? Fuck. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's take the yellow tail. Yeah. 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 Yellow tail each time. Yeah. <sighs> So um, you did work, you worked at like, it's almost exhausting to go through your resume because you've worked at so many places now, but like, yes. <laughs> I, I did want to touch on public a little bit because uh, that's sure. still an, a flourishing restaurant in the city. What was your experience mm-hmm. like working there? Uh, it was wonderful. I, so I know Carly and Ryan from back in the Hannah's days. Right. I actually lived with Carly and Ryan when they very first started dating, which is actually a funny story as well. So I... We had been talking about it sort of for a couple of months, me and Carly, and she lived like a couple of blocks away from Hannah's. And so I, we were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to move in, but I was going on a trip to Europe. So I went to Europe for three weeks and they had, Carly and Ryan had just started dating right before I went to Europe for three weeks. And then when I came back and I was moving in, he had moved in. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, and Carly had had two young kids at the time as well. So I moved in, he had moved in while I was in Europe, even though they had just started dating, but it worked out obviously. It's a lot of years later. Yeah. So, so we all three of us lived uh, and she had two young kids that were there, you know, half the time kind of thing. And two blocks away from Hannah's like summertime. It was amazing. So we lived together there. So we were really good friends. And then when I moved, it was right before I moved to BC. So then when Whenever I'd come back for a visit, I have a big family. I would always visit my family, but I would also make time to visit them as well. Um, And they had a couple of kids along the way as well. So I would always visit them as well. And then when I moved back into the city, I kind of had lunch with Carly first and was like, listen, this is where I want to work. It's the best restaurant in town, my opinion. But I don't want to like push anybody out. I know you probably have like not a high turnover or whatever. And so she, you know, thought about it for a bit. And then she was like, absolutely like yes we we want to have you so so I started there and it actually wasn't you say the exhaustive list I actually worked with Nick and Nat for a while as well like I did both and I didn't I don't think I wrote that on my bio (laughs) so (laughs) Nick and Nat as well from the Hannah's days I worked with them at Marvel's for a while as well so I kind of did both for a while and then it kind of came up that I could get more full-time hours at public and it was just a better vibe there it was so fun working there so I went and, and worked full time there. And I think around that time when I when I was kind of offered that full time, the current sommelier was on the way out as well. So I kind of took over the wine list there as well as like full time hours. And it was so great. Like, I mean, pre-pandemic, right? It was like the place to go. It was hopping. It was so much fun working there. Such amazing other people that were working there as well. I know Jess Sharkey you've had on as well. Mm-hmm. She was amazing to work with. A lot of really great people. Um, Chris Kim also was on your show. 
He worked there for a while when I first started there. It was just such a great crew, busy. It was really fun. So it was such a great place to work. Well, I don't want to try to get a big head by you <laughs> dropping that she was fun to work with because I found the experience miserable. But <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the owner, so. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, Jess, if you're listening to this. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah. And well, I think it says a lot about you, too, though, Christy, that like, these people you used to work with back in the day want to then hire you when they move along and start opening their own places, right? So that, that, yeah. that says something about you. Well, yes, yeah. I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pretty good work ethic, if yeah. I uh, say so, yeah, myself. And so what are you up to these days? Like, what's going on? Why are you still in the service industry? And if so, in what capacity? Yeah, so sort of probably even before the pandemic, so probably a couple of years even before I took a nutrition course, because I was always sort of interested in that side of the food equation as well. So I took an online uh, course to be like a holistic nutrition and food coach, but never really wanted to do the sort of traditional thing that health coaches do, which is sort of, you know, take private clients, work one-on-one or do group coaching or things like that. But specifically with like nutritional needs, I kind of just wanted the background to validate what I had already been uh, like reading and studying about. So, but always with the, with the focus on food. So having worked with so many like amazing chefs through the years and at great restaurants, I was always the one that was they're like asking questions about the feature, asking like how they did this, how they do that and observing things. So I was already like cooking so much at home and really into that kind of thing. So just before the pandemic, probably about a year or so, I was like really kind of thinking, okay, like, can I do my own business? I've never, I never really had like a strong entrepreneurial force in my life. Like nobody in my family really did that. Um, but you know, Instagram, you see a lot of things, you like read a lot of things and it's like, I think I can do this. I think I can do something with like recipes and health and whatever. So kind of bringing like the restaurant vibe and flavors into like a more nutritious area of recipes and that. So I started developing, well, I had already been developing recipes, but actually like writing them down and following through. So I was more of a creative cook before, but actually like developing recipes and that. So then I, as soon as the pandemic happened, I obviously was like off of work and had a lot of free time on my hands. And so that's when I first started my Instagram account, Road Prep Create, and started just like documenting kind of what I was doing, the recipes I was doing and that kind of thing. Very bad photography if you go back far enough, but I've improved, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) So then I, it took a while for me to kind of figure out how I was going to try and actually make money doing any of this. Mm -hmm. And then I came across like a platform of software that I use that kind of gave me the the background systems and stuff that I needed for that. So now I have what I call the recipe vault. So it's a monthly subscription and you basically get access to my platform that has hundreds of my recipes and recipes that I've adapted from other food bloggers and that kind of thing. And through that, then I started doing a lot more of like meal planning and prep stuff, which I do meal planning almost every week for myself, for myself and my husband. So I started getting more into that. And now I'm launching like a course on meal planning and prep and doing a lot more about that. So I'm doing a live course right now, but I'll eventually make it into an evergreen thing as well. So kind of, yeah, got into that entrepreneurial thing. I'm still working in restaurants because I can't quite 
make the leap yet to leave yeah, yeah. <laughs> altogether. Uh, but that brings me back to that full circle where I now work at Corner Kitchen, breakfast and lunch, which is a very different thing for me, which I was very nervous about, but I love it. Yeah, it's yeah, because most of the places you've worked at, I guess, have been mostly dinner spots, right? Like the odd lunch Absolutely. there. But like, yeah, so how do you like the, the whole breakfast crowd and working early in the morning? Yeah. I was very nervous. So, so me and my husband started going there sort of once a month ish during the pandemic and a little bit before. And so we kind of got to know Kate again, who's the owner and chatted with her a few times and probably almost a year before I started actually working there, she, she started trying to recruit me. She was like, huh, you, yeah, you want to come, come work for me kind of thing. And I was like, I don't know. Like I can't do breakfast. I can't wake up that early. I can't do it. I don't know. I don't know. And it, and I couldn't do it. And then there just came a point where I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready for like this lifestyle change. I feel like if I work a few shifts during the day, get that out of the way. And then I can kind of do my own thing the rest of the days and, and the evenings that that might work for me. So like, mm. yeah, let's see, you know, always knowing like, of course I can, I could get a job pretty much anywhere if it didn't work out, if I actually could right, do yeah. mornings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love it. No, that's good. I was very surprised, yeah. but I love it. I only, I only, some people have to be there at 6.30 a.m. I only have to be there at usually 8 or 9, which mm. is doable. That's better, yeah. 6.30, I don't know if I could do, but I could yeah. do 8 or 9. Yeah, 8 or 9, roll over into lunch and then head home. That doesn't sound so bad. I think it's, yeah. it's when you start getting older, you realize like, oh shit, I could, I guess I could do more of a daytime thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I don't want to stay up until 2 a.m. anymore <laughs> or 3 or whatever. Like, no, I think I could do this. And it's been amazing. Well, that's good. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, Christy. That was fun. And let's just uh, make sure that our listeners know where to find out about all the cool things you're doing with your uh, online platform and your courses, etc. Yeah. So my Instagram is actually grow.prep.create on Instagram. And then my website is christycollins.ca or growprepcreate.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for doing the show. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you're going to be doing in the future. And good luck with all those breakfasts. Yeah, I gotta check out uh, Babylon Sisters. I've been meaning to do it. So yes, do it, and so should anybody else listening for that matter. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs>